bat shit crazy. Our Father, we pray that thou wouldst come in mighty power and touch every life in this audience tonight. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. Amen. Now tonight, I want you to turn with me to the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel. The fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel. I'm not going to read it because it's too long to read. But I'm going to tell you the story because it's the story of Jesus' encounter with a demon-possessed man. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. Jesus Christ. Okay, look, I, I'm sorry. This is, this is the great Billy Graham. For those of you who are older than twenty, you might have might might have grown up with uh, Billy Graham or some of his sermons or uh, his his family um, as uh, following along with the ministry. Billy Graham is one of the most influential preachers of our generation. Uh, it, it hardly gets bigger than Billy Graham when you're talking about mainstream Christianity in America and, and maybe mainstream Christianity throughout the world. He was, uh, he was a world traveler. And so Billy Graham... Uh, no longer with us now uh, for for some time, but his message remains with us now. There's a problem uh, with uh, with Billy Graham and uh, and his message. It's crazy. It's crazy, um, and it's the kind of crazy that I think didn't get challenged as much in its heyday as it would today because we didn't have the benefit of atheist keyboard warriors, frankly, during, uh, during Billy Graham's uh, heyday. Uh, the things that he said simply would not have stood up. He simply couldn't have... Uh, held strong in a modern debate with a modern counter theologian. And so I can hit my BSC button every three seconds. There are times when I might not stop the the recording. This is a short sermon, it's about 24 minutes, but I might just interject the Darren doctrine making shit up. So when he says things that, that are just out of the air, just just unchallenged Christian assertions. If I don't do it, you do it in your mind. Just in the voice of Darren, he's making shit up. This happens throughout the sermon. He doesn't even try uh, because, once again, at the time of this sermon, this is, this is a very young Billy Graham. I don't think that he would have gotten the kind of pushback that he would have gotten today. And Christians were not thinking, were not forced to think as critically then as today. Uh, and he was 
he largely made his living talking to the unchurched. However, these are unchurched people that are influenced by Christian culture. And so a, a lot of what he says just goes as a, an assumption that is true. They just take it as read. Uh, you see a lot of fear-mongering. Uh, Billy Graham does this uh, a lot. Uh, he just makes things up that are Christian fantasy and asserts them as true without any type of uh, backing. And he comes out with some doctrinal gobbledygook that today simply wouldn't hold up on any debate. I mean, if he were saying this in a debate, uh, he'd be trounced. And so I'm, I just want to point out the Christian doctrine as expressed by Billy Graham. Now, I know that he says this is about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. It's really not that much about that. There's a story of a demon possession, and he does talk about demons a little bit. You're not going to get much about witches and wizards, but you are going to get some really weird stuff. And uh, so without any further ado, I'm going to try to let as much of this go as possible. But some of it, you'll forgive me. You'll see what I mean. It, it's 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 so much worse than the mainstream stuff you hear today from uh from academics and apologists billy graham was not that he was a creature of his time and his time is past however his influence on the christian church and the way they think that hasn't passed and uh, you're going to hear more of that here Billy Graham had just crossed the Sea of Galilee. He had been in a little boat and he was tired. Now, Jesus was divine. He was God, but he was also human. He got tired. He got thirsty and he was asleep in this boat and a storm came up. And you remember the story. The disciples became afraid and they said, Master, we're going to perish. They were terrified. And Jesus stood up in the boat and held up his hand and said, Peace, be still. The wind calmed down. The lightning quit flashing. The thunder quit roaring. And the disciples were even more afraid. They said, What manner of man is this that even the winds obey? They had not yet come to the full recognition that here was the master of all the ages, the king of kings and lord of lords and god of very gods. But they got on the other side of the little Sea of Galilee, and there they met a strange sight, a wild man, a naked man, bleeding from head to toe from wounds self-inflicted, came running and screaming toward them. And the Bible says that he was possessed by a demon. You say, now, Billy, do you believe that they were really demons? Yes. I believe that there were real demons in Jesus' day, and I believe there are real demons right now. There is a real devil. There's a real devil in the world now. The Bible teaches it, and we can see evidences of his work everywhere. Wait a minute. We can see evidences of it. Now, that's that's interesting. That's not batshit crazy. He's, he's surely not making shit up now. Let's see what he says the evidences are. And all of us that are living the Christian life meet him every day. Okay, that is batshit crazy. Uh, go on. Because we're in a conflict. Not with flesh and blood, the Bible says, 
but with spiritual forces, principalities and powers, and rulers of the dark places. Okay, I, I just I, I have to point this out. Um, this is Cooksville. Uh, spiritual warfare, demonology, it's, it's Cooksville, as uh, you all know, I believe. But I just want you to stop giving Christianity this safe place to be kooky and just take Billy Graham's words, his ideas, and reimagine it in a different context that's not religion. Some person speaking to an audience and he's saying, you know, our enemy is not flesh and blood. No, I'm not talking about humans. No, no, we're, we're talking about non-humans that are um, principalities, powers of the air, uh, you know, those, those people out there that control everything. We would want to put that person in a jacket that fastened backward. But when you put a gloss of Christianity around it, then that talk just becomes a Sunday morning sermon. There is a devil and there are demons. Now, they may be more up. sophisticated in America Why? than they are some other parts of the world. Why? How but do you they're know? demons nevertheless. You see, man has to have some sort of a supernatural power beyond himself to follow. What? What? Wait, what? And many times if he doesn't follow God, the true God, he's going to manufacture a God or he'll just follow the devil straight out. Wow. Really? And he can he can say this to 100,000 people. I think uh, in this particular audience, it's 40,000 people. He can say this to 40,000 people and they just nod along as if that made any sense at all. Now, what does Satan mean in the Bible? The word Satan that is used so often in the Bible, it comes from a Greek word. And the word devils comes from another word, demonia. And the Bible has a lot to say about these demons. It says that they're capable of entering and controlling a man. They can enter you and control you. The Bible says that they're spoken of all the way through the Bible as unclean, violent, and malicious. Now, once again, uh, let's just uh, pretend that instead of a preacher, we have uh, a psychiatrist. And he says, uh, yes, I, I believe that you might be suffering from alien possession. They can enter and control a man. How long would he get to keep his license? The Bible says that they're in conflict even with Christians. Now, I do not believe that a Christian can be possessed of the devil. I do not believe that a true born-again believer can be demon-possessed. But the demons will bother you and irritate you and harass you and work on you night and day. And the moment you receive Christ as Savior, you'll know the devil's very much alive. We are wrestling, not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That's now, every person, crazy. you listen to this, every person outside of Christ is in danger of demon possession. Bullshit.
Hey, you guys uh, remember that show, one of the last uh, regular Skeptics and Seekers shows uh, that we did? I thought it was a, a great finale. Uh, me, Brian with a Y, uh, Darren, uh, Andrew, uh, who am I missing? A few of us uh, got together. Uh, Matt was uh, with us for the first part of it. We did our best. I mean, we tried our damnedest to call up a demon and be possessed by a demon. I mean, we did our best. We, we said the most dangerous and vile incantations possible. And we risked insanity by inadvertently mispronouncing words. And yet, we remain unpossessed. <laughs> or we were possessed from the beginning. How could you tell? <laughs> you are a possible subject no, of you're not. demon possession. No, you're not. <laughs> you know, one of the terrible features of the judgment at the end of the world is going to be that new demons are going to be let out of the bottomless pit and they're going to be powerful personages. Hey, hey, Darren, say it with me. He's making shit up. That are going to cause violence and trouble throughout the world. And I sometimes think some of them must have been released in the last few years. The demon of drugs. There's a relationship between sorcery and witchcraft and drugs, according to the Bible. What? The demon of alcoholism. Seven million chronic alcoholics in America. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. The demon of drugs and the demon of alcoholism. So do we, do we have specific demons that are responsible for specific things? The demon of forgetfulness maybe uh the demon of lust um the de this sounds like bad science fiction now look it's not a surprise we know this is how many christians think but how imbecilic is this this is this is the epitome of insanity and Billy Graham should have been laughed off of every stage he ever came on. Now he says that the Bible makes a connection somehow with, um, with drugs and witchcraft. He just says that he just puts it out there. He never, actually shows any place where that happens. It's just a thing that comes out of his mouth and Christians nod along to and say, yeah, 7 million alcoholics. By the way, why is, why is that a sign of demon activity? Because it seems to me that people can get drunk and become alcoholics without demons. We might come back to this in just a minute. Made invalids by alcohol. Sex obsession. 
I've met people that tell me that they're actually obsessed with it. They can think of nothing else. Yeah, I, they're usually Christians on discussion boards who seem to be obsessed with it and can think of nothing else. And, you know, I, would, in a conversation about, you know, oh, say, um, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. Um, say random conversations on unbelievable about apologetics some Christians will just pop off with, you know, about transgenderism, <laughs> just, just launch. I mean, Christians do seem to be obsessed with sex, almost paralyzed with it. But I, I still have a question. I'll, I'll wait just a minute before I ask it. But. Just like the people of Noah's day, whose imaginations were evil continually till the judgment came. I believe that a great deal of this is demon power. Making shit that up. That we have to reckon with in our generation. And how do you prove that? You say, Billy, that's not just the devil, that's ourselves. Of course. But you see, we fell from our fellowship with God because of the temptation of the devil. Okay, stop. Okay, I'll just insert it right here. Uh, you are so close, uh, Billy. You are so close to something like an epiphany of reason. And and now you're uh, about to push away from it. The reasonable question to ask is, wait a minute, do you mean that we would not have alcoholism and drug addiction and sex addiction and whatever else Billy Graham thinks is bad about society? You mean we wouldn't have that without the demons? And on the one hand, he says, oh, no, we would have it. We are capable of it ourselves. But then he turns right back around and says, but the reason is because the demons <laughs> uh, uh, tempted us and interfered uh, at creation. So once again, it's back on the demons. So the question still remains. Do you mean if the if not for the demons, we wouldn't have these problems. And if that's what you're really saying, if that's what you really think, then you really need to come up with some kind of answer and tell us why God allowed demons to use earth as a playground and his new creation, his new humans as playthings. If all he had to do to eliminate that was keep the demons out. The devil was there in the beginning. Why? He's been there all the time. Why? And the only power in the world that can overcome Satan is the Lord Jesus Christ. So why didn't he? And you can say in the name of Christ, and it frightens him. You Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, think I, I think I feel a demon coming on me right now. In the name of Christ? Oh, yeah, no, that's immediate uh, release there. He's, he's gone. Oh, no, he's back. In the name of Christ? Okay, he's going to, oh, he's in the name of Christ. I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'll replace play. This might take a while. You can quote the word of God and he will flee. You know, Jesus was attacked by the devil in the wilderness when he was weak from thirst and hunger. The devil came and attacked him three times. Jesus never argued with him. He never debated with him. What did Jesus do? Jesus just quoted scripture. 
That's the reason it's important for you to memorize scripture. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> what? Okay, so the reason you memorize scripture is because it scares off the devil? Are there some specific scriptures here? Will any scriptures do? Jesus wept, by the way. That That's a scripture. Um, does that work? Um, <laughs> that's the reason we give you verses to memorize when you come to Christ. It's important. What verses? Does someone know the verses that uh, Billy Graham gives people to memorize when they come to Christ? Will someone please publish that list? Because I want to know what the exact demon reading incantation is from Scripture. For you to memorize Scripture so that you'll have Scripture to quote to the devil in the hour of temptation. Now, the Bible teaches that God never tempts anybody. If you're tempted to do wrong, that's the devil tempting you. And the way to overcome that temptation is to quote Scripture and to be filled with the Spirit of God and walking in the will of God as Jesus was in the temptation. Now I want you to notice this man that came running toward Jesus that day when he landed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Notice some of the things about him. It says an unclean spirit indwelt him. Look at all the filth and the pollution in America today. I'm not talking about the atmospheric pollution. That's bad enough. I'm talking about the moral pollution. We have an unclean spirit that seems to have settled over America and over the world. That's one powerful demon. I mean, how are we supposed to combat that? I mean, you think about all of the churches reading the Bible every week and, you know, the devil's afraid of Scripture and he flees from you when you quote Scripture. And yet, this demon keeps hanging out over the world. Something in Billy Graham's doctrine is not hanging together. Let's see if I can figure out what it is. It seems that people are sitting down and trying to think up new ways to do evil, new ways to violence, new ways to hate, new ways for sex perversion. An unclean spirit was in control of that man. And Jesus looked upon that unclean spirit as a supernatural power. And then notice he wore no clothes. Look at the increase in nudity today. Okay. I was, <laughs> is, is this a drinking game uh, that Billy Graham is doing on purpose? The, the number of times he talks about sex and sexual perversion. And now he's back on nudity. <laughs> the, <laughs> the man was nude. And, and look at the... the uprise of the uptick in America of people walking around with no clothes. Uh, I live in New Jersey. Nothing is illegal here. I'm in New York all the time. Where are these naked people? I wonder if the devil has something to do with that. <laughs> He's not you doing a very good go job to a movie, of it. I'm told. <laughs> Today, that doesn't have a nude scene in it. Our obsession with nudity. This man had no clothes on. And then notice he was mentally deranged. One out of every four Americans right now 
One out of every four families is affected some way by mental derangement. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's his earnest tone of voice or the way he says derangement. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like he is just one tick away from saying satanic stupidity. Over half of all hospital beds in America at this hour are occupied by mental patients. Cut a great deal of this. Be demons. I don't know because I could not say that everybody that is in a mental hospital has a demon. That's not true. Many of them have organic problems and psychological problems that may have nothing to do with the devil. But there are many people I'm convinced that are under the control and the power and the influence convinced by what? of demons who suffer from mental derangement. How can you tell? And then notice that he was uncontrollable. Nobody could control this fellow. They tried to tie him up. They tried to put him in prison. They tried to put him in a mental institution. He broke out. He seemed to have supernatural power. And he was a violent man. Has there ever been an hour when there's been so much violence? Everybody wants peace and they hold up the peace sign and we all believe in peace, but somehow we don't get peace. Violence and riot, rioting and killing and murder. Some newspapers today in our big cities don't even print the murders any longer. There's so many every night. They just list them in one spot. And you can look over at a certain place and you just read it like you would a baseball score. How many muggings last night? How many rapings last night? How many murders last night? Violence, violence, violence. This is one of the characteristics of the devil and demons. And I want to tell you, we're not going to stop it just with more police power. We've got to have prayer power and spiritual power. It, that'll fix it. We've got to have people on their knees praying. And we must have a spiritual awakening in this country. And then notice he dwelt among the dead. The Bible says that this fellow lived out in the tombs. He lived in a cemetery. And did you know the Bible teaches that we are dead in sins and trespasses before we come to Christ? Your body is alive, but your soul, your spirit is dead toward God. You need to be made alive. And you could be made alive tonight if you let Jesus touch your life. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ can come into your heart right now and take that guilt away. He can wash the past away. Have you had race prejudice? He'll take it away. He can give you love in your heart. He'll wait a minute. He'll take race prejudice away. One of the parts of the country most infected by race prejudice historically and today is the Bible Belt. Have you broken God's moral law and you've committed sin? He'll take it away and wash it away and give you a power to resist temptation tomorrow. And Jesus stood face to face with this wild, angry, violent, naked, bleeding man. And inside the man, a supernatural voice began to speak and say, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the living God? Don't torment us. What have I to do with thee? 
The rich man says, I don't need the gospel because it's for the poor. The intellectual says, oh, it's for the working, it's for the uh, uneducated. The common man says, I can't understand it. The radical says, it's not revolutionary enough. What have I to do with thee? I want to tell you, every one of us has something to do with him. And if you don't have something to do with him in this life, you're going to have something to do with him in the future life. Because there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. You may not bow your knee down here to him, but there's coming a day when you will bow your knee. You will be forced to bow your knee in that day when we shall all stand before him. I just want to point this. I can't help but point this out. I used to say this on Skeptics and Seekers and also in print, and I would get pushback from some Christians that, oh, no, no, this doesn't mean that you're going to be forcibly, you know, bowed down and bended knee and, you know, like some kind of tyrant. He's going to make you call him daddy before he kicks you in the teeth and sends you to hell. No, no, no. This is uh, more of a sign of uh, God's love. And at some point where our eyes are going to be open and we're going to see it and God is going to welcome, welcome us uh, with open arms. It's, it's actually a prediction of universalism. Brian with an eye. How you doing? buddy. I know, <laughs> I know you're, you're actually not the one that I'm uh, really thinking about here, but I know that um, you um, have a very strong universalist uh, tendency. I just wanted to point out, though, that what Billy Graham is teaching all these decades ago is exactly what I have said that Christians have said, <laughs> and it's exactly how I understood the passage too. If you don't bend your knee here and now willingly, you're going to later and you're not gonna like it. Jesus said, what is your name? He wasn't talking to the man. He was talking to the demon in the man and out came the answer. We are legion. We are many. This man wasn't occupied by just one devil. He had many devils. It says about Mary Magdalene that she had seven devils. Think of it, seven demons possessing one person. Jesus, all of a sudden, commanded as he did the sea the night before. Hey, just real quick. Uh, why, why is there a need for more than one demon? Just curious. I, I, I know I sometimes ask the question, why is there a need for a Christian to pray more than one prayer for a particular thing? Um, this is a question no one can answer. Maybe this one's easier. Why does a person need to be possessed by more than one demon? Is, is one demon not enough? <laughs> Just curious. It seems like, um, I don't know, um, seems like a waste. He said, come out of the man. And then those demons prayed a prayer. Now, there were three prayers prayed that day. Two of them were answered. One was not answered. Notice here, the demons prayed a prayer. They immediately recognized Jesus. They knew him to be the Son of God. They knew that he had power over them. They knew that he could send them to hell. So they prayed. They said, Jesus, 
please don't send us to hell. You see those swine up there? 2,000 hogs. Send us to the hogs. We'd rather go there and live in the hogs than to go to hell. And you know what happened? Jesus answered the prayer of the demons. Now, isn't it ironic? Jesus will answer the prayer of the demons to go into some hogs. Let's not get stuck on why the demons wanted to go into the hogs and why Jesus let them. <laughs> we could get stuck there. Um, it's fun. I, I just I just wanted to bring out the irony of how easily and quickly and readily and literally Jesus answers the prayer of these demons, but he's not curing you of your goddamn cancer. <laughs> he sent the demons to the swine. How terrible hell must be if the demons want to stay out of there and they'd rather live with the hogs and live in the hogs and live like a hog. Immediately the hogs became wild. They became violent. They began to run and they ran over a cliff and drowned in the sea. And then the second prayer took place. Hang on, just a, you know, another point of clarification. This is not Billy Graham's fault, per se. He's just reading the story. The story itself is stupid. Um, so the demons wanted to go into the hogs. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just give me a second. Uh, he wanted to go into the hogs. <laughs> And um, why? Because the moment it, here's the thing, they wanted to avoid going back to hell. Great. Got it. So they get their wish. They go into the hogs and immediately drown themselves. <laughs> so they, they immediately drown the hogs where presumably they would just go back to hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't, I'm not sure what was gained here. I don't know. Maybe someone who understands this story better can explain because it. Because all the businessmen in town came out. All the leaders of the little town came out to see what was happening. And there they saw the man that they'd had so much trouble with, this violent, naked man sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, smiling, absolutely transformed and changed, but they weren't interested in him. All they could think about were the hogs. The hogs? They were more interested in economics than they were in spiritual transformation. So they prayed the most terrible prayer, I think, in the Bible. They said, Jesus, Leave us alone. Leave our coast. Leave our town. We don't want you. You know what happened? Jesus answered their prayer. He left and he never, never came back. Wait a minute. Does this work? Does, does this work? Can, it, can someone comment on that? Can someone let me know? If you just say, Jesus, leave me alone, 
will he then leave you alone? Let me try it. Jesus, whom I don't believe in, <laughs> but at any rate, in case you're real, Jesus, leave me the fuck alone. Does that help? Is that is that enough? Jesus, leave me alone. Is that good? Is it, it, it? Will Jesus leave me alone forever? We walk away. Am I am I done with this cosmic bully? Um, you know, I've quoted some scripture. Jesus wept. Okay, now the devil is going to leave me alone. Jesus, leave me alone. Okay, I've made that incantation, so Jesus leaves me alone. Does that mean I am now free from all cosmic bullies? And it's possible for you to say, Lord, leave me alone. You see, the Spirit of God is speaking to hundreds of you right here tonight. Yes, he is. Uh, so everyone say it with me. Lord, leave me alone. I just, I just want to see... <laughs> If there's, if there's any change at all, uh, does that mean that his minions uh, who approach me on buses and subways and walking about with pamphlets and a good word from the Lord, does that mean they will leave me alone too? Will they get the message to leave me alone? Please, someone else try this experiment and tell me if it works for you. He's making you uncomfortable. He's speaking to you now. And you're just about to say, leave me alone, Holy Spirit. Don't disturb me. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't let my conscience bother me so deeply. Okay, I, we've added something to the incantation. Holy Spirit, leave me alone, Holy Spirit. Jesus, leave me alone. Leave me alone, Holy Spirit. Leave me alone, God the Father. Uh, leave me alone, God the Wisdom, in case you're out there, too. I mean, what... <laughs> However many, have I missed any gods? <laughs> and you're about to say, leave me alone. He may answer that prayer. And he never came back. How many times in the Bible you find that a man had one chance and he missed it? He had one hour with God and missed it. Or one hour with God and he took the advantage of it. Look at Zacchaeus. A big crowd was coming through his town and he heard that Jesus, the famous Galilean teacher, was passing by and coming in and Zacchaeus was a short man and he couldn't see Jesus so he climbed up a sycamore tree. And he was looking at Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to go to your house and eat with you today. Zacchaeus jumped to the ground and D.L. Moody said he was converted from the limb to the ground. And he was transformed and changed, and he was a tax gatherer. And he'd been taking money from the people without authority. And he told Jesus, I'm going to give it back fourfold. He was repenting and making restitution of his sins when he met Jesus. That could happen to you. The people requested that Jesus leave, and he left. Now another prayer was made. The man that had been touched and the man that had been healed, he prayed a prayer. What was his prayer? He said, Lord, this is wonderful. 
I've been changed. I've been transformed. I've been converted. I've been saved. I want to go with you. I want to live with you. From now on, Jesus said no. Okay, let's let's keep score here. Um, demon prayer. Yes, Jesus answers. Evil townspeople prayer. Yes, Jesus answers. Newly converted righteous man prayer. Hell no. That's the prayer that Jesus refused to answer. He said, go back to your home. Go back to the same address. Go back to your village. Go back to your town. Go back to your school. Go back to your family. And tell what great things God has done for you. You see, we get in a great crusade like this, and here's a great crowd of 43,000 people here tonight, and we say, isn't this wonderful, all this great music? And getting together like this, Baptist and Presbyterians and Methodists and Catholics and Jewish people, everybody's here. How wonderful. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could stay on this high all the time? Jesus said, no. Where it really counts is back where you live. Back where you go to school. I've got a chapter in my new book called Getting High and Staying High. You know, the Bible teaches that there are many highs, but there are also some lows. You read the book of Psalms. I read five Psalms every day. How many times the psalmist was down at the very bottom looking up to sea bottom? There are highs and lows. But in the midst of it all, there's the spirit of the living God to give you joy and peace. There are certain rivers for the Christian that run very deep. And it's a wonderful thing in the midst of a low to have Jesus there. Because you see, you're going to face problems. You're going to have disappointments. You're going to have heartaches. You're going to have problems and difficulties in your life, but in the midst of it, God's grace will be there. You know, Paul had some affliction. We don't know exactly what it was, but he prayed three times, Lord, deliver me. And God said, no, Paul, I'm not going to deliver you from it, but my grace is going to be sufficient for you in the middle of it. You can endure it. My grace and my love and my presence will be there. Now, there were three things that this man had after he met Jesus. He had rest. Notice he was sitting. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And how many of you are restless in your spirit tonight? Disturbed, confused, searching desperately for something that'll give you meaning in your life, and you haven't found it. Come to Jesus. He will give you the rest you've been searching for. And then notice he was clothed. You know, the Bible says we have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Many of you tonight, filled with sin and guilt, you need a new suit of clothes. In fact, you're not going to be accepted by God in his kingdom until you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's why Christ died on the cross. He died to provide that righteousness for you. I could sew all day long, and my wife could sew all day long, and she's a marvelous seamstress and makes many of her own clothes. 
And when, we, when the children were younger, she made nearly all their clothes. But she couldn't sew well enough to sew a robe or a suit of clothes that would fit me in heaven. That was bought by the blood of Christ on the cross. And clothed in his righteousness, I'm going to heaven. And I'm going to walk down Redemption Avenue. Not because of me, not because of my goodness and my righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says this man was in his right mind. Sin destroys our mind. It influences our mind. It distorts our mind. And we look at things from a wrong perspective and we get our values all mixed up. But when you come to Christ and you begin to see the world through the eyes of God, you don't go around wringing your hand and saying, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? There's a peace in your heart. You can read the headlines that frighten and scare, but Christ is there. He's in control. I'm going to ask you to receive this Christ tonight. I'm going to ask hundreds of you right now to get up out of your seat. Right now, get up out of your seat and come and stand in front of this platform and say by coming, I want to receive Christ into my heart. I want him to touch my life. I want him to forgive my sin. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Thousands of people in the past few days here in Texas have made this commitment. I'm asking you to join them tonight and make this commitment to Christ. And after you've come, I'm going to say a word to all of you. I'm going to have a prayer with you, give you some literature, and then you can go back and join your friends. If you're with relatives or friends or you're in a bus, they'll wait on you. You just get up and come. We'll only keep you a few moments. And if you start from the top gallery up there, it'll take two or three minutes to come. So start now. And we're going to wait. And I'm going to ask people everywhere to be in prayer that you will come and let Christ transform and change your life and make you a new person quickly right now. Okay. I, um, I, think, I think it speaks for itself. Uh, should have some fun in the comments. Uh, I am going to do a um, an altar call of my own as uh, as we end this. So, in the style and spirit of the great Billy Graham, I call upon you all to incline yourself closer to the speaker. Place your hand on your smartphone or your computer or whatever you are using to listen to this message on. I want you to all come closer. I want you to incline your face to the sky, lift your countenance, and say with me, Dear Jesus, dear God, dear Holy Spirit, dear Wisdom, leave me the hell alone. We'll see you guys next week.